morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And uh, I'm excited about the things that we're talking about today. Um, we're, this is the second week in a series that we've called The Hinge. And it's the second week, but it actually, if this is your first time this morning, that's okay, because I'm going to do a quick review of what we talked about last week. But th- this is the main idea of our series today. So even if, this is, if you're a guest with us, if you've never heard any of this stuff, it's all going to make sense today. So don't get weirded out by that. The, um, the Hinge. And the tagline for this series is the one way to disprove Christianity. So if you've got skeptical friends or you have been skeptical about faith um, and about Christianity, about what it means, this is the one question you've got to answer, whether Christianity is true or whether it's false. It's the hinge it's that everything hangs upon. So last week we talked about what is Christianity? What does it mean to be a Christian? Does it mean that I was born an American, raised an American, I buy American, and so I'm a Christian? Or... Does it mean that um, I've got a Jesus fish on the back of my car? No, we've seen people with Jesus fish on the back of their car, and they don't mean that they're Christian, right? Because we've seen how they drive. What do you think? Uh, I looked this up, and I remember catching a lizard fish, and then I looked up the lizard fish has showed a Jesus, uh-huh. that fish symbol. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know if that's true. I, yeah, well, that's a, that's a lizard that runs really, really fast and that he can go across the water. Yeah, you're right. That's good. What do, yeah, that's all right. What, is, what about Christianity? What is a Christian? Does anybody remember the definition that we gave last week? This is a big test. Okay, a Christian is somebody who believes the good news. Who can tell me what the good news is? That God's coming back? Okay, I heard another one. He's risen, all right. Other ideas? Jesus is Lord? Yeah, that's a lot of what we've been talking about for sure. So the good news is that God is saving us through Jesus. And if we put our faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done, then we're a Christian. And that looks a little bit different. Depending on our culture and and, and some of our background, the, the unifying theme of what a Christian is is whether or not they've put their faith in Jesus. So um, we use, but we use this term kind of ambiguously because we'll talk about Christian music. But music can't be Christian because Christian or music can't put its faith in Jesus. It can talk about Christian themes. It can talk about um, um, it can talk about Christian ideas, and the people who write the music can be Christians. But that doesn't make the music Christian, right? So what is a Christian? A Christian is somebody who has put their faith in the good news, and the good news is that God is saving us through Jesus. Jesus is the center point. So if God is saving us through Jesus, the question is, what the heck did Jesus do? Why does it matter? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you would open your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you'd like to use one of these story Bibles that are there in the chairs in front of you, it's on page 796. And I'm going to turn there too, 796. This is a book called 1 Corinthians, and it's chapter 15. And we're actually going to begin in verse 12. Page 796. And before we get there, as you're arriving... The planes planes are landing. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you um, for your word. 
We thank you that you have spoken to us. God, you have preserved it. Um, You have sent people to translate it so that we can talk about it freely. We can talk about it openly. And Lord, I thank you for a country that has preserved our freedom to read it. And I thank you that, by and large, we're not concerned about being attacked for being here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our brothers and sisters in the faith across the globe as they celebrate um, in real ways your victory over death. And Lord, this morning as we pause, as we gather, God, I pray that you would speak clearly here in what you have said. Lord, that anything that is true, anything that is lasting, anything that comes from your word, that, that thing, those things would be remembered. Anything that's just my opinion, God, that that stuff would just wash away. And Lord, I pray that you would bring us closer together to you from our time this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to begin in verse 12, if you'd like to read along with me. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I'll pause there. So it seems like we're jumping into the middle of a conversation, and that's because we're jumping into the middle of a conversation. Um, This is a letter that was written by a pastor whose name was Paul, and he had come through and planted a church in a city called Corinth. Um, And it was... Las Vegas of its day. Uh, Everything that happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. It was uh, drugs and sex and all kinds of things. And Paul, as a pastor, moved into that city and started a church, started sharing the good news that God is saving us through Jesus. And people believed that. And they stopped what they were doing. They changed their lives. And so he started a church in this city. And he left because what he did oftentimes was start a church and then leave and start a church and then leave and start a church and then leave. And so as he's going away from the city of Corinth, he hears rumors about some things that have been going on. And he gets a letter from them asking some very direct questions. And it seems like they're really aggressive towards him. It seems like they're saying, hey, we actually know better than you do. And so these are the things that we disagree on you, disagree with you about. And so we're going to do our thing like thanks, but no thanks. We don't need you. So Paul writes this letter, the letter of 1 Corinthians that we call, and he, one, addresses the rumors of the things that he's heard, and then he turns and he answers their letter. So this section that we're talking about here, where it says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, in verse 12, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? It seems like he's answering something that they wrote in their letter to him. And they're saying there's no such thing as resurrection from the dead means people don't come back to life, which we would say is generally true. But these folks are saying it's impossible. It just doesn't ever happen. 
And it's actually not an, an unusual worldview from the time that they were. There, was, there were several groups of people who believed this and who preached this, and it shaped the way that they interacted with the Bible, uh, the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew Scriptures, and it shaped the way that they thought about the world. And so he's got some people, and he's taught them that Jesus is raised from the dead, and now they're saying there is no resurrection from the dead. People don't come back to life. And so he wants to clarify something with them. And the thing that he wants to clarify is that the hinge point of our faith, the hinge, is whether or not Jesus came back from the dead. So for anybody who's skeptical of faith, anybody who, who isn't really sure about whether or not Christianity is, they, they want to talk about the flood. They want to talk about all different kinds of things in the Bible. Is that me? No? Okay. Cool. They want to talk about all kinds of things in the Bible, but, but the, the question that they really need to answer, the question that we need to start with, the hinge point that if it doesn't fit, the whole thing falls apart, is the resurrection. Because think about it. Uh, if I'm a guy and I am born into a poor family, and I grow up and I'm a construction worker, and everybody knows the hometown that I'm in, Everybody knows what I do, and, you know, it's, it's a, the small community. Everybody in the village knows who I am. And I get to about 30 years old, and I start saying, hey, by the way, I'm the son of God. I, I went to this crazy teacher guy out in the wilderness, and he baptized me, and the heavens opened up, and there was a voice saying that I'm the son of God, and you guys should listen to what I have to say. Let me start to teach you. Okay. <laughs> So he goes, and he, and, he, and he teaches, and he says some really, really crazy things, some things that are outside of the box, but always with this understanding that I am the Son of God. And he shares with his disciples, look, I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to be raised again. And he tells them over and over and over again, and they still, like, for whatever reason, they just don't understand. I don't know if you have any people in your life like that, that you tell them something, and they just can't remember. It doesn't stick in their head. I've been very clear with you. Like, Here's, here's what, what's going to happen. Well, I'm surprised. Why did it happen this way? I, I told you it was going to happen. So Jesus has the same thing with his disciples. So he promises, I'm God's son. You guys should listen to what I teach you. I'm going to die, but that's not the end of the story because I'm going to come back to life. And he's very clear with his disciples. But to everybody else, he's not really clear. Because to say that you are the son of God, to say that you are on equal footing with God to the, those people is what they call blasphemy. And we're kind of familiar with that term, and we might make a joke like, oh, you're blaspheming or something like that. Um, but in, in their age and, and, and their, the way that they thought about the world, for you to say something that was blasphemy means I get to throw rocks at you until you are dead. So if he's claiming to be the son of God, he doesn't necessarily want for everybody who believes that if he's saying that, that I can throw rocks at him until he's dead, to know until he finishes what he has to teach. And so he teaches for three years. And then he makes some people angry. He makes enough people angry. He makes the right people angry. And they pull the right strings, and they end up having him executed, murdered. If that's the end of the story, that's the end of the story. He's a crazy dude who thought he was somebody that he wasn't, and he died. And that's the end of it. It doesn't matter what a crazy man teaches you. He's crazy. Right? 
The thing that makes all the difference is whether or not that crazy man came back to life three days later after being tortured, beat to a pulp, and crucified. Confirmed dead by Roman crucifixioners who did this as a profession. This was their job. They knew when somebody was dead. So he's dead. They bury the guy, and then he comes back to life. That makes you wonder if there might be some claim of credibility to the things that he said about himself, which is, I'm the son of God, you should listen to me. So here's, here's a little bit of a caveat, because I would love to be able to say that this chapter and these verses proves, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. But what this chapter is doing isn't proving anything. It's simply stating the fact that if you want to know what the hinge point of Christianity is, the hinge point is this. Did Jesus come back to life? And we each have to answer that question. Because if he came back from the life, then there are, if he came back from the dead to life, there's some things that have changed in the world. In fact, that's our big idea for the morning. If Jesus is raised, our whole world is changed. And if he didn't, then everybody here in the room is wasting their time. And we've fought and argued, and there have been a lot of things that have happened in the world over the course of history that should never have happened. We, if this is not true, we are the people who should be most pitied. And if you're somebody who respects the authority of the Bible, you think the Bible has something to say, if the Bible says it, like, that has some weight to it, the Bible says, if that's not true, you're the, you're the most pitiful people. I can't believe you'd buy that. So what confidence do we have that Jesus was raised from the dead? One, we have the Bible, and it tells us. But the Bible is a collection of, of writings, it's a collection of stories from people who put it together, or from people who experienced these things firsthand, or people who talked to the eyewitnesses and created an account. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, this idea, but usually history doesn't get written down until hundreds of years later. How many of you guys have heard of Alexander the Great? How many of you guys believe Alexander the Great was a guy? And that he was a big, powerful ruler, and he took over most of the world? Do you realize that we don't have any historical evidence, or we don't have any historical written down fact that that happened until 400 years after he was dead? We accept as fact the things that we know about Alexander the Great, even though nobody bothered to write down what they knew about Alexander the Great until 400 years later. When we talk about the, the historical accounts that are included in Scripture, what we call the Gospels, they're kind of biographies. They're written by guys who saw it happen, like John, or they're written by guys who got it from guys who saw it happen, like Luke and Peter and Matthew. And they're writing these things down 30 years, at like max, after it happened. So we've got historical facts that are established 400 years after they happened, and we've got historical facts that happen that are recorded 30 years from the people who saw the things happen. So as far as history goes, I think there's very good evidence that Jesus came back to life from the dead. That's the hinge. If it happened, it changes everything. If it didn't happen, there's a whole lot of pitiful people running around the world. And I'm the first of them.
And, and look at this in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It doesn't mean anything, and you are still in your sins. See, there, there are folks, um, and I spent some time with them this weekend, there are folks who celebrate and who are, are intensely focused on Jesus' death as an offering, as a sacrifice, that Jesus died for our sins. And they put their faith in Jesus as somebody who has died for their sins. But if he is not resurrected, the, the payment wasn't accepted. This, this is a little bit of what I mean. For hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, uh, Jews gathered together in Jerusalem. They would make offerings in, 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 in the temple for sin. So animals would die as sacrifices to forgive sin. They had to do this how often? Hmm? Every year. So every year, my sins are forgiven. I go another year, my sins are forgiven. I go another year, my sins are forgiven. I go another year, my sins are forgiven. There's a whole lot of dead animals piling up. How many of those guys got up? None of them. So they keep doing it over and over and over and over and over again. When Jesus lays down his life as fully God and fully man, as the perfect sacrifice that can complete that transaction, the verification, the divine verification that that payment was worth something is the fact that he was raised from the dead. The offering has been paid in full. It's done. It's completed. And we can trust that Jesus has forgiven our sins because he was raised from the dead. And that's why God is saving us through Jesus. The good news is God is saving us. God is saving us. I'm not saving myself. God is saving us through Jesus. And we know that because God raised him from the dead. Because God doesn't do that for everybody. I don't know if you've noticed, death runs in my family. I suspect it runs in yours. That's the wrong PowerPoint, so we'll forget that today. What do we do with Jesus? The question is, what do we do with Jesus? We have a historical fact that there was a man who claimed to be the Son of God. We have a historical fact that he was murdered. We have a historical fact that he came to life three days later, by the way, just like he told them it was going to happen. So what do we do with that? If we're skeptical of faith, that's the one thing that we need to wrestle with, because we're dealing in historical facts up until this point. Do I believe the history or do I not? Will I, will I trust in the scientific method until it points me to the fact that Jesus likely was raised from the dead? That I have more reason to trust that Jesus was a man, that he was born, that he died, that he was raised from the dead than I do that Alexander the Great took over the whole world? What do we do with Jesus? Because if Jesus is raised, our whole world is changed. Let's continue reading. This is going to get a little crazy, so bear with me. We're going to read through it, and we'll, we'll walk through it a little bit slower as we get to the end. <clears throat> Let's continue reading in verse 20. But in fact... But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also, by the, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. 
Christ, the first fruits. Then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who has put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who has put all things into subjection under him, that God may be all in all. We'll pause there. We've got some, some parsing out to do here. <clears throat> so, in fact, like not opinion, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And do any of us have a Jewish background? So when we read first fruits, it doesn't mean anything to us except first fruits. Like, it's just a word, right? When a Jew heard first fruits, they actually were thinking of a festival. And this is really, really interesting. Because Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, they were taking Passover together. And he was murdered on the eve of Passover, and that's why they had to take his body down, because it was unclean, and they wanted to celebrate, and there was a whole thing going on. Part of the Passover is this separate festival called the Festival of First Fruits. And it's so fascinating because after we celebrate the Passover, we have this meal where we take the just barely ripe grain and we harvest it and we offer it to God. This is at the end of, or at the beginning of the harvest season. We're starting to take in the crop that we've planted. We're starting to take in the thing that we've worked so hard for. And you know what? We don't have a guarantee of what the crop will be. I don't know if you've ever done any kind of farming or, or any kind of working with plants, but just because you stick it in the ground and give it what you think it needs, don't mean it's going to grow. Like, <clears throat> I try, like, the thing, the thing and I'll, I'll let you in on a secret, because I do some gardening. The secret for people who are really, really good at gardening is that they buy in quantity. And so they plant thousands and thousands and thousands of plants. So you look at their yard and you go, you have hundreds of plants, and they're so beautiful. And in the back of their head, they're going, you don't know what my graveyard looks like. I've killed a lot of plants. <clears throat> so here's the thing. Just because you plant something, <laughs> this is the point, just because you plant something doesn't mean it's going to live. And just because you've got the beginning of a harvest doesn't mean you've got the whole harvest. And so God set up this festival. God set up this celebration, this party. When the, when the harvest starts to get ripe, I want you to take some of that and offer it to me. It's not finished yet, but you're giving thanks for what I'm going to do. It's a festival pointed towards the future. I, don't, I, I haven't seen it yet. All I have is, 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 is what started here, but I haven't seen the completion of it yet. I have hope, and in hope I will praise God for what he's getting ready to do. It's this, do, do, you, do you see what I'm saying there? So when, when it says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, we know that Christ was crucified around Passover, and we're Jewish people now, so we're thinking, okay, we're talking about the festival of first fruits? For as by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, the offering of hope, the offering that he's accomplished something, that he started something that isn't finished yet, that I have something more to look forward to, and that then I'll praise God even more, but right now I'll praise God with what I have. He's the firstfruits. Things are going to happen in order. See, I don't know 
if you realize this, but when we're born, we're actually born spiritually dead. It's something that we inherited from our father all the way back to Adam. And so even though we're alive, even though we're breathing, even though our bodies are working to some degree or another, spiritually, when we're born, we're dead. And the only hope that we have that we can be made spiritually alive is that we trust that the good news that God is saving us through Jesus and through his resurrection. As in, as in Adam all die, all are born spiritually dead, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. The life comes through Christ. The spiritual life comes through Christ. And he's the first fruits. And I don't know, if, if, you've, if you've been a believer for a long time, I, I hope that this is the same encouragement that it is to you. The, the first fruits, Christ, the first fruits, the salvation that we hold on to when we turn to him and we trust him, we have that, it's, it's, it's completed, but it's the first fruits. We're thankful for what we've got, but we know that the harvest is not finished yet. There's more to come. We don't live in a completed world, amen? The world has not yet been restored. Jesus' victory over death applied to him, but it hasn't applied to us yet. There's something more that we're looking forward to. But because we see that he died and he rose again as he promised, we have the same guarantee that he will return and take us with him. First, Christ the first fruits, and then those who have trusted in him. Those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end of the world. NBD. No big deal. Jesus delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power. Rule, authority, and power are, are, are um, key words for spiritual forces, demonic forces, and the way that they're structured. So Jesus goes and he does spiritual warfare on, on the enemy and the spiritual demons in the world, and he conquers all of them and delivers the kingdom over to God the Father. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. See, death is hanging on. Death was the thing that was introduced into our world because of Adam's sin. There's some people who read the Bible and they say that God lied in the very beginning because he said that, Adam, in the day that you eat this, you will surely die. And they say, well, Adam didn't die that day. He lived for hundreds of years. God must have been lying. But when we have eyes to see spiritually, we see that Adam died spiritually in that day. Somebody who had spiritual life lost it because they chose to mutiny against the order that God had set them up in. They thought he could be a better God than God. So death was introduced, and Jesus must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. And so God, the Father, has given Jesus authority to accomplish things. And he's going to do it. But then Jesus, at the end of it, says, you know, God, the Father, you gave me authority for that. And so I'm submitted to you. You put everything under my feet, but I'm under your feet because you put all the things under my feet. Does that make sense? It gets confusing in how it's worded. But we see not a, di not, not a differential in value, but a differential in role in the Trinity, where the Son, Jesus, is submitted to the Father God and does what God wants.
And that's why we read Psalm 110 this morning, or 115. I don't have it in my notes. But that's a, a psalm that looks forward to Jesus' full victory over all the enemies in the world. Written hundreds and hundreds of years before he showed up. But perfectly describing what we see here. And even quoted in a couple of ways here. So if Jesus is raised, our whole world is changed. And what is our hope for the future? When we look at the news, what is our hope for the future? When we think about the things that our children have to face and the questions that they have to answer in school, what is our hope for the future? When we think about the economy, when we think about the frailty of our own bodies, what is our hope for the future? But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He started something, and we have more to look forward to. Let's continue reading. Verse 29. Otherwise, what do you mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. So there's a couple things in there for us to, to chew on a little bit. The first thing is baptism on behalf of the dead. Um, it seems like he's describing a living person being baptized on behalf of somebody who has already died. He doesn't make any commentary about it. It doesn't show up anywhere else in the scripture. It doesn't exactly, not really sure what's happening. If this is something that they're doing in Corinth that he hasn't dealt with yet, it's, it, it's not clear what this is and is weird. Can, as a pastor, can I just say there are things in the Bible I go, that's weird, I don't understand. Now, this is one of those things. This is the only place it shows up in the Bible. And he's not saying that we should do it, and he's not saying that we shouldn't do it. He's saying this practice that you guys are familiar with, this practice that you guys see going on all the time, points to the fact that there is a hope of resurrection. Why would you be baptized for somebody who's dead if they're never going to be alive? If they're dead, the game's over. You don't get to play again. So he's pointing to this as an illustration, something that they're familiar with. That's just super weird to us. But the point that he's making is that you guys know inherently, you guys already know that people are, that there is a resurrection, that there is something to look forward to. And if it isn't, he asks some practical questions. If the dead are not, or why are, in verse 30, why are we in danger every hour? 
I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul says, look, I have put all of my chips in this basket, all of my Easter eggs in the resurrection basket. I have fully trusted Jesus to such the degree that I go around and I start churches in places that don't want anything to do with Jesus, to such the degree that I am beaten for the things that I preach, for such a degree that I get put into Roman coliseums to battle with lions. Like, I've gone through some suffering because I've said that I trusted in Jesus and I followed out, I walked out the things that I said I believed. And if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, I'm wasting my life here. My bones are aching. My back aches from the beatings that I've endured for nothing. It takes me an hour to get out of bed because I'm just so sore for nothing. I'm wasting my life. I protest by my own life. Have you seen what I've done? Do you understand that I believe this so much that it's changed everything that I've done? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If Jesus hasn't been raised, like, why are we here listening to this, reading the Bible, wasting our time? Like, let's go party. We're going to die tomorrow anyway. What does it matter? But Christ has been raised. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor. You think you've got such wisdom and clarity about what's going on? You're drunk. You're talking out of your butt. It doesn't make any sense what you're saying here. Have I not shown you by the way that I've lived my life that this is absolutely true? Do not go on sinning. For even though you've written to me and told me all the things that you think you understand about God, for some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. You think you know what you're talking about and you have no idea. James would say, Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you your faith by your works. Show me how smart you are in your head, and I'll show you what you actually believe by what you do. So here's the crux for us this morning. Have our experiences with Jesus changed our life? Here's, here's, here's what I suspect. I suspect if you're here this morning, you have some familiarity with Jesus. You've had some kind of an experience with Jesus. You have some kind of exposure to him and what he's done. And if not, like I'm excited to be able to share that with you for the first time. But if you've had an experience and you point to that experience and go, that was a really cool experience. Like I was baptized and I felt really good after that. Or I was in confirmation class and, and like I felt like I belonged to a community. Like have your experiences with Jesus changed your life? Or did the trajectory just stay a straight line the whole way? You have the same anxieties as all your neighbors who have never had any experiences with Jesus. Your habits and your lifestyle looks exactly the same as everybody around you. And they don't claim Jesus. They don't even care. Have our experiences with Jesus changed our life? Because if Paul is any example, is yeah. For Paul, it did. For many of you, I know. I've seen it worked out week to week. Jesus has changed your life. 
Because if Jesus is raised, our whole world is changed. From beginning to end, the history of, world, of the world is changed. But if Jesus is raised, my whole world is changed. Jesus is raised, my whole world is changed. again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.